0: Podcast created to give young aspiring musicians insight on how they can begin to move into a musical career. I'm Tyler Mead, the host of this exciting new resource, and I'm so excited to share with you all the conversations I've been able to have with friends, mentors, and other professionals in the music field. Throughout this series of podcasts, I will be having conversations with people from all sorts of backgrounds, with all sorts of passions and all sorts of paths to music in order to show you that your path to your musical career will be unique to you and will influence how special your career can be. Now, before we get uh, to this first conversation of the series, I want to give a little bit more of a perspective on why I'm doing this podcast series. Right now, I'm a second year graduate student at Syracuse University studying piano performance. My career goals going into grad school were fairly clear to me. I wanted to get my doctorate in piano pedagogy and teach at a college or university because such a big part of my musical career and my passion within music is education and teaching. Because of this passion, I have started to kind of rethink how I might create a different path towards my goal. This restructuring of my thoughts and my path has kind of led me here. I've grown to not really love the solo aspect of performing as much as I thought and I can't see myself making a 35 plus year career spending hours of individual time every week to be a successful as successful uh, as I would need to be in order to make a living off of performance-based lifestyle. I also have discussed with my fiance about passions we have in music and our potential careers, and I keep coming back to education. My whole goal for a piano pedagogy degree was to be able to teach college piano classes more effectively so that future music educators are more comfortable using piano in their teaching. Through discussion, I eventually came to the conclusion that I would not be able to I would not be qualified enough or knowledgeable enough to make that sort of impact without more experience in the music education field. So I'm changing my path. I'm changing how I think about what I want to do with my career, knowing that I also have personal goals that I want to achieve outside of music, like starting a family with my fiancé. This fact terrifies me, though, because because it's not what I had planned. But I found solace in the fact that I have a ton of experience, resource and mentors available to me already. Young musicians struggling to find their way usually don't. So I want to be one of those resources that provides different perspectives from different people that are already established or have already dealt with the day to day struggles. So that you as a younger musician can start to move into a musical career more effectively. I truly believe that this podcast will give you valuable insight from other people with differing passions and goals in music. I want to make sure that you are educated about the fact that, although you might get the same degree as one of your peers, your path in music will be unique and different and special to you. This podcast title, Music Educated, symbolizes the process we all have to go through In order to be educated about our careers in music and about the various opportunities that we have in such a rewarding career. Now the first guest of this new podcast is someone that knows better than anyone else what it's like to make this change in paths and change in mindset. During this recorded interview, we had the opportunity to talk about her path to a higher education degree in music as well as how her experiences have guided her in beginning her musical career. Please enjoy the first episode of Music Educated with my guest, Lindsay Kasmer. <laughs> joined by one of my good friends, Lindsay Kasmer, um from Syracuse University. She is a vocal pedagogy master student and uh, we're going to talk about kind of a career path and finding your path through, um, through some of the challenges and different perspectives that she might have. Um, so I just wanna start out by having you tell the listeners a little bit about your music education from grade school until grad school, what you kind of experienced so far.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, So, you know, starting in elementary school, you have your general music class. Um, I joined my church's kids choir in third grade. I joined my school choir in fourth grade. Um, In fourth grade, I wanted to join the orchestra and play the violin, um, but my older brother had done the same thing and then never touched another musical instrument again. And uh, my mom was insistent that she would have one musical child. And since it wasn't Jeremy, it would be me.
0: So, Of course, so... <laughs> of course. Every, every parent's dream. Right,
1: exactly. Um, and she thought that orchestra had ruined Jeremy. Turns out he's just not musically inclined. Um, but you can't know that at the time. So in fourth grade, I started piano. And then in fifth grade, I started clarinet. Um, in middle school, I kept up with the choir and band and piano lessons. I joined my church's youth praise team, did bell choir, keep on keeping on. The
0: entire spectrum of activities. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, in high school and ninth grade, I started voice lessons. My first lesson was on Valentine's Day, which is just precious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I continued with clarinet. I did marching band and symphony band. I was in my school's choirs, I did show choir for junior and senior year, and I did our musicals, all that good stuff. Um, our school was very into sight singing for the choirs. We did numbers instead of solfege, but, like, I was in our advanced choir, and we would sight sing Bach chorales for warm-ups. Um, so very, very focused on, on sight singing, um, but we would also do like paper exams on IPA, theory, we do some ear training. So really solid in my high school. Then we get to undergrad, which is a whole other deal. So the undergrad that I went to is called Defiance College. Very small, very underdeveloped um, music program. Um, I was considered an advanced singer in their choir because I had been in a choir and I could read music. So very, very different. Um, yeah, so I was in Chamber Singers, which was a student choir, and Choral Union, which was the community choir. Um, but the, I guess, benefit of being in that kind of a choir or underdeveloped program is I got to help build it up. Um, so I got to be on the executive board, I was elected president, so I got to help it from a structural standpoint, but also from a musical standpoint, and learn, how can i help my fellow singers who may not even be able to read music how to hold their own part if i split away from them and yeah. so learning and teaching my friends how to be more independent um which if i had gone to a more advanced music program even though i wasn't getting a degree in music that opportunity wouldn't be there um plus i got to be um, a part of an acapella group so defiance college dc we were the dc Bulls. Um, and I did a music ministry minor, which, um, they had, like, music, uh, musical theater, general music minor, and music ministry minor. There's no way of doing musical theater, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, but the main difference between, like, the general and the music ministry is music ministry had, like, a field placement in a church where you get actual experience. That's great. Yeah, so I did that, and that was, A year of theory, a semester of history, a semester of like conducting slash rep, and then I did this internship. So I led the worship team at my church, which I was already doing at that time. Um, I conducted the chancel choir once or twice, and then I formed and conducted the bell choir. And then I did like a hymnody study with the pastor and talking about like the purpose of the hymnal and how to read and understand the hymnal and um, the. Oh, it's not the concordance in the back. I can't think of the term, but it was it was really interesting. Um, and it gave me actual experience in conducting and leading rehearsals. Um, so that was great. Um, after I graduated, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I started teaching voice and piano before I graduated. And then after I graduated, I did like a four and a half year plan. So I graduated in December. And so in that spring semester, um. My voice teacher, who is head of the music program, actually hired me um, as adjunct faculty to teach voice. So I had a small, like, I think four-student studio at my undergrad, um, which was great. It was a great experience, and I could teach a lot of my friends even outside of that studio just privately for dirt cheap, because I needed the experience and they wanted a lesson.
0: Absolutely. It was
1: great. It was, like, the perfect kind of baptism by fire (laughs) to learn how to teach voice. Um, so then I, I moved, I was in Ohio and I moved to Syracuse, New York, because I decided I was going to go to Syracuse for my master's in social work. Um, and I started studying, kind of, with Janet Brown. So we did like a couple lessons during the summer, and then in the fall, when I started like full-time classes, our, um, schedules were polar opposite, and so I didn't do any voice lessons. That's the first time in like seven, eight years I hadn't had like a voice teacher, um, And then in the spring, I did Hendrix Chapel Choir, and she and I were able to pick back up and do lessons again, which was great. Um, I remember that spring semester, she had told me, like, oh, you should should audition for the operas, (laughs) like, Syracuse opera. And I laughed, because I thought she was joking. (laughs) Fun fact, she was not joking. So lo and behold, I auditioned, and I got into Syracuse opera chorus. So that's been a fun time.
0: And how many different productions have you been in?
1: Six. So, so six three in seasons. how many three in seasons. three seasons? So two per season. That's awesome for three years. Yeah. So it's been a it's been a time.
0: Yeah. So you said you ended up uh, studying at Syracuse first social work. How did you get into that field with such an extensive background in music?
1: Right. So that story is a fun time. Um, like I had said, I was in like our, our most advanced choir in high school, but I wasn't like one of the best singers, like good enough, but like, you know, every choir kind of has those stars that are just right. like well above everyone else. And I was not one of them, but I was good. So sophomore year, um, at the end of the school year, our choir program does like something called Showtime where every choir becomes a show choir and it's a huge production. It's so much fun. And... My aunt and uncle came up to see it Um, and my aunt, you know, just talking like, hey, what do you want to do, you know, when you go to college, what do you want to do for a living? And I was 16, so I (laughs) said, I don't know, maybe music? And she said, oh, you're not good enough for that. Mm. Right. Um, And being 16, I listened.
0: Mm.
1: And so that was rough
0: i had a similar experience in middle school my so my math teacher um when i told her i wanted to teach music Mm she's like no you'll never be a music teacher you're never Mm -hmm. good enough Mm -hmm. but i had the general music and choir director of the middle school i I told the story to her and she was like don't listen to her. So yeah. I had that sort of support right. that kind of guided mm-hmm. me into the high school because mm-hmm. this was eighth grade and right. I am having... you so
1: impressionable at that age.
0: <laughs> exactly. So it's like I have my math teacher who I'm seeing every day mm-hmm. telling me, no, you're not good enough to be a music teacher. I'm like, mm-hmm. you've never even heard me play piano or do anything Yeah, like so
1: this. my aunt had never heard me sing, had never heard me play piano, never heard me play clarinet. And so my grandmother, her mother... She was a professional musician. She played piano, organ, and accordion. She played on the local radio. She taught. She played for weddings and gigs in the church and all that. And so, you know, my aunt was absolutely exposed to music and professional musicians. But looking back, she had never heard me perform right. outside of, like, a choir where you can't tell. Um... And she didn't have the knowledge that you need to discern the difference between a 16-year-old with some formal education and a professional of 30, 40, 50 years. Right. So, like, yes, compared to my grandmother, of course not. Also, I'm 16.
0: Yeah, and I, I think this is something that I really want to touch on throughout all these episodes of Music Educated is showing that... It's all about the passion that we put mm-hmm. into the music field and not necessarily all about the talent that we might have mm-hmm. or the talent that people might say that we're lacking. Right. So that, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. And I'm glad you brought that up um, because I'm sure there's so many people out there
1: mm-hmm. that have
0: had that, that influence and that kind of uh, oh, yeah. situation happen. And I,
1: it comes back around. So after I decided, okay, I'm not going to, I won't go into music. Um, I figured, you know what, maybe I'll get a minor so I can teach. Because at that point, I think my piano teacher had said, like, hey, you're good enough to give beginner piano lessons. Um, So I spent most of my junior year thinking, I don't know what I want to do. And then my senior year, I was like, I want to help people. I want to be a therapist. I'll go into social work. Um, So that's how I ended up in social work. And then after doing all this musical stuff in college, my voice teacher... Um, I got to my senior year and he said, "Hey, you're going to do a senior recital." <laughs> and it was not my favorite experience. Um, it was like 45 minutes, 12 songs, which is decent for someone doing a music minor. The first words out of my mouth after I walked off stage, I said directly to him, I said, "That was not worth it."
0: <laughs> oh my.
1: I eventually like retracted that. Um, but performing is just not my not
0: my thing. I used to be the opposite. So my high school uh, piano teacher... I didn't start classical lessons until sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. So by junior year, my piano teacher made me do a junior recital. And then a senior recital. So by the time I got into uh, undergrad doing mm-hmm. having a performance degree... It was kind of like second nature. And I've mm-hmm. kind of grown... To not actually want to be a performer. I right. don't want to go out on stage mm-hmm. and have people tell me I'm mm-hmm. not good enough every single <laughs> time. <laughs> like, you no, I'm not, not, I'm not Long Long. <laughs> like, I'm not Daniel Trofanov. Right. But I have this passion that I want mm-hmm. to express. And there's so many different ways that we can do that.
1: Yeah, so going back to the recital. Because <laughs> that leads to all of this. Okay. It's really a fun time. So... Two days before the recital, I ended up doing a master class with my voice teacher's voice teacher from undergrad. We were supposed to do it several weeks beforehand, but schedules and people getting sick and whatever. Yeah. So, two days before. And we're driving back from that. It's my voice teacher, um, my pianist, and myself. And I'm like passed out in the back because she had me skipping around singing La Dame Luce from Mozart's Mass in C minor. <laughs> and I was exhausted. <laughs> And so I'm like in and out of sleep, you know, like quasi awake. And I hear, uh, Candace and Andrew talking. Um, and I heard Andrew, my voice teacher say something along the lines of, you know, if Lindsay had gone to my undergrad, she would have done really, really well there. And so I had like a complete meltdown about that that night. Cause <laughs> I was like, what, <laughs> um, I went through with the recital. I finished the semester cause the recital was mid April. And then at the very end of the semester, I went to his office and I said, "Hey, I heard you say this. I was also half asleep. I just want to make sure that I heard you correctly." Um and he was like, "Well, yes, of course I said that." And I was like, "What? What do you mean?" He goes, "What do you mean? What I what do I mean?" <laughs> and he was like, "I thought you knew." And I said, "If I known, then I wouldn't have gone into social work."
0: Yeah.
1: Which like is heartbreaking to say, and sounds really, really harsh, but at that time was true. Um, and so we talked about, like, possible changes in musical careers, and so we brought up voice performance, and I said, absolutely
0: not. <laughs>
1: so then we talked about voice pad, and teaching voice, and I really liked the idea of that. And so that was the end of what would have been, like, year four, and I did that extra half year. So the summer between, I went to Chicago for my senior field placement in social work. And at that time, I was thinking about changing and getting a whole different degree. So, like, no pressure. (laughs) Um, And so I ended up finding Patrice Michaels, who worked with the Chicago Lyric Opera, who is, I want to say, head of the voice department at University of Chicago. And I took private lessons with her for the summer. Um, And that's the first time I ever got to study with a soprano. And I'm a soprano. So, right, because my... (laughs) My high school voice teacher was my piano teacher. So she's a piano teacher teaching voice. Got it. And my undergraduate voice teacher was a man. (laughs) So I got to study with an actual soprano, which was amazing. Um, But also, my internship, I was working with a refugee resettlement agency in a mental health capacity. And the very end of my internship was the very beginning of the Syrian refugee crisis. Mm. And I fell in love with it. And I realized that I love trauma. Oddly enough, I know it's a weird facet. I love clinical work. I love working in mental health. And so then I came into this last semester saying, well, crap. Now I love both of them. Like, what the heck do I do? So I finished out the semester. My teacher had started to give me some of his private students to teach because he was overwhelmed with work. And I started teaching piano just to try and get some sense of if I do want to go into voice ped, I should probably teach before that right? and make sure this is actually yeah. something that I want to do. And so that's kind of how I went from music to social work back to music but still also social work. But
0: also social work. Yeah. Because right after that you went right for another social yeah, work Yeah, I got degree. my <laughs>
1: master's in social work and interned at the VA and got hired. It's been really fun. And
0: then started your
1: master's in master's voice pit. Yeah, uh-huh. Wow. It's been a lot of flip-flopping.
0: Wow. Um... Going off of uh, what you said, the, these passions that you have for both of these subjects, mm-hmm. what benefits of studying another subject do you see in your like early professional studies in music?
1: Yeah, so I mean so one benefit is just the fact that I've been through grad school already, so like the pressure of grad right. school is kind of off. <laughs> I'm already used to it. I'm already kind of thinking at that higher level because there's much higher expectations of grad students than undergrad students, so that's already like taken care of. I don't have to worry about that. Um, coming from my specific field of like mental health, um, when people struggle with like performance anxiety or performance-related stress, I mean I face that too. But I'm also trained to teach people how to use coping skills and coping mechanisms, and so I also have to be able to use those on my own, hmm. because I'm very much a practice-what-you-preach kind of person. Right. And so I feel very comfortable using those. Um, I'm also quick to recognize burnout in okay. myself, um, because I have to. I,
0: I think in music, that's such a prominent it is um, problem, because so many people burn out because when you're an undergrad, you've gotten 18 to 20 credits mm-hmm. and all these performances and all these different, uh, expectations that are upon you. And it's just like, we're just trying our best to learn and grow Stay and afloat. figure this out because in four short years, most people are going right into the field. And mm-hmm. it's like, how do you, how do you cope? And how do you prepare for that? Absolutely. Um, so I, I think that's an awesome thing that, Uh, you bring
1: up. Yeah, um, so I think because music students have classes, but then they also have the expectation of rehearsal, whether it's rehearsal for lessons or rehearsals for performances or rehearsals for ensembles or whatever, there's a lot of, like, unwritten expectations, more so than in other degrees. And so one thing that I've learned is time management is key. And yeah. staying organized, which I know is harped on a lot. Um, but the other one that I've learned is that if, and I've learned this from personal experience, if I don't choose when to take time to rest, my body will choose it for me. Right. And it will always be at the most inopportune times, like right before an exam or a performance or a paper. Right. And so learning to say, you know what, it's okay to take a break, um... Music students, from my observation, don't do that. (laughs) Um, And so, like, setting really clear boundaries and limits on myself and on, like, my obligations or even just, like, relationships. If someone says, hey, can you hang out tonight? I might have time, but I'm also completely exhausted. Yeah. And I need that time for myself. And so learning how to say no, which does not come easy, is something that I've had to implement even more in my own life because I work full-time and I'm going to grad school part-time. And I teach, and typically I'm in an opera.
0: There's only 24 hours in a day, uh and we can't can't do it all.
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Um, You can react to this. I think for me, part of the way I get through some of this high stress, high anxiety, high expectations, is being sort of flexible in what I'm willing to do. Mm -hmm. Experiment with different things and step out of my comfort zone and be flexible with time, not always focusing directly on uh, schoolwork. Because not everything has to do with schoolwork. We Mm -hmm. have lives and we want to have um relationship goals and Mm -hmm. all these other things I just wanted to hear like what your thoughts are on kind of switching things up
1: yeah absolutely so that's actually one of the reasons why I like (laughs) working full-time and going to school (laughs) it's a terrible idea on one hand but I also like it because then I don't get completely burned out on one or the other Um, And even if you look at it from a smaller perspective of just the schoolwork and the lessons and the performances It helps kind of break things up a little bit so that you can give your brain a break So that you can give your voice a break, your fingers a break, whatever it might be And I mean, yes, we're going to school to get a degree so that we can go and teach and, you know, get a career and all that But also, we're still human we still have other things in our lives that we need to tend to, things that we want to tend to, um, trips that we might want to take, or friendships we want to develop. Like, we can't leave, in my opinion, if you leave school with just a degree, then you missed out on a lot. Yeah. Um, my undergrad was very, very small, under a thousand people, including hmm. graduate students. So, but one of the things that I learned from there is with a school that small, what you put in was what you got out. Yeah. And so I invested myself in a lot of different areas because I wanted to explore those areas. And grad school is a little bit harder, I think, because you're so narrowly focused. But even within that narrow focus, there are still so many other avenues to explore. And I think that's really great. yeah, Because it gives you that opportunity to get a breath of fresh air with something else when you're exhausted of the other.
0: Yeah. So we talked about like the benefits of studying another subject mm-hmm. uh, in music. But what are the different challenges transitioning to music school from the outside field
1: (sighs) it's so hard (laughs) (laughs) um so the biggest one that I think that I come into is just that I lack the the breadth and the depth of knowledge that other musicians or music students consider to be general knowledge and like so I took the the history class and they were talking about Haydn and the Esterhazy family I obviously know who Haydn is. I had never heard of the Esterhazy family. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about okay. them. And that's considered general knowledge in the musical world. Right. Like, everybody knows about right. that, and that's completely brand new to me. Um, but, like, if you wanted to talk about Eric Erickson's theories of psychosocial development, <laughs> like, hit me up. I got you. So it's just what's considered common knowledge in one field or one area of study is very different than the other, and I'm coming in knowing pretty much none of that.
0: Right. And I, I think it's it's interesting to kind of hear your background uh, growing up with music. I had I hadn't heard that before, and I think that's very interesting because you had such a rich mm-hmm. kind of music education, mm-hmm. but it just shows that undergrad is such a different, oh, yeah. different beast because. There's so much information Mm -hmm. that we need, and I'm sure that the challenges just going through theory and Mm -hmm. going through history like, it's so much information that we have to kind of process.
1: It is, and like, so this summer I've spent a lot of time listening and watching operas just to gain some familiarity and I think I'm at like 37 or 38 operas Um, but just to gain some familiarity with what these composers sound like what their style is I know of them but I've not been exposed to them as much and so it's just trying to rectify that and like catch up so I know like the tip of the iceberg whereas most other students know everything underneath the water
0: right and I think I'm guilty of being ignorant to the fact that not everyone has the same background that mm-hmm. I have. I am so fortunate and so privileged to have the background. I did two years or... Yeah, two semesters of theory in high school. Mm-hmm. But I also had a private piano teacher who taught me all jazz and all theory that I needed Mollid. to know for for undergrad. So theory, when I got to undergrad, I was like, oh wait, I know this. Mm-hmm. So... It's, it's definitely something to grow through. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to realize that not everyone has um, those opportunities to learn all those things. Right,
1: and have the exposure. Right. And I, so one one of the challenges is not having that exposure, not having that academic foundation. The other end of it is more on like a personal level of, I don't know what I don't know. Mm. And even when it comes to voice, and I've been studying voice for 12, 13 years now, and so I'm now, like, I can tell when something fits my voice, and I can tell when a song is right for me, but I can't necessarily articulate why. Mm. And so it's trying to figure out, you know, I look at all these songs, what is it they have in common? And trying to figure out, okay, what, where does my voice actually fit with this? And that's been a huge struggle, because I don't know what I don't know. And so... I feel bad for people I work with because I will frequently ask, like, not how did I do, but what do you see are my strengths? What do you see as areas I need to work on? Because I, I'm i still trying to figure that out. I don't yeah. have that insight into it yet because I don't have that exposure of being told for four years in undergrad, this is what fits you, this doesn't, try this, no, not this.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a unique perspective, though, because... I think people usually like get caught up in, how do I sound? How does this sound? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sing this because I like this piece and I've heard it a thousand times, but it doesn't fit my voice. Mm-hmm. So being able to, and I, I, I assume that's probably because you've matured through these different experiences that you've had, um, the ability to kind of recognize that, okay, well, I need to think about this differently mm-hmm. because... I want to be successful in what I'm doing so I need to start thinking about this instead of how do I sound
1: right yeah it's a different approach and I don't know it's necessarily by choice (laughs) but just by you know where I've come from and what my path has looked like that's kind of led me to look at it this way
0: yeah I want to switch into more of uh, your teaching career, mm-hmm. since it is such a prominent part of what you want to do in the future with pedagogy, um, can you talk about what you have enjoyed about the process of starting your teaching career?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, one, I'm always convinced that being a teacher makes you a better student. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and so I love, like, the one-on-one interaction with the student which makes sense given that I'm a therapist, (laughs) like, (laughs) no surprise there, Um, but I just love getting to know them as a person and walking along with them and seeing their growth, and I like finding out what motivates them, so with my voice students, you know, they'll say, oh, I really love this song after we've been working on it, and I'll say, okay, what what do you love about it? Why do you love this song? What is it that stands out to you with this? Um, Or I, I flat out ask my piano students, hey, why do you like piano? What do you enjoy about it? Um, And it's always interesting because they always have different responses. Right. And it could be different responses from kids in the same family or different responses from the same kid a year apart from one another. Um, And I just, I don't know, I like, like, for my voice students, I've gone to see them in musicals that they've been preparing for. Or one of my piano students, she also does ballet and she danced with like the Syracuse City Ballet, and I went and see her, saw her in a couple of ballets. And so, being able to invest in them, and not just the thirty minutes a week I see them for a piano lesson, yeah. forty-five minutes a week for a voice lesson, but like investing in who they are in real life, and realizing, like, oh, this person actually cares. It's not a job for them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I love that. And I think
0: yeah. So I think that's such a um interesting topic about teaching because we so often get caught up in we got to follow this process so they learn Mm -hmm. but following in in that by just investing in what they're doing as individuals and people Mm -hmm. really starts to like establish why music is important to them so you can become a better teacher and figure out better ways to do x y and z because we need to do those things
1: right well okay so in therapy um one of the most important things that studies have shown is that you build a good rapport with your client everything else can come after that but if you don't have a good relationship with who you're working with it doesn't really matter how brilliant you are as a teacher as a therapist if you don't have a good relationship with your students they're not going to learn as well as if you did And so to me, investing in them and spending that time with them to pay $10 to go see a high school musical, a middle school musical, that's worth it. Because they realize that someone cares and someone is invested in who they are.
0: Uh, And that's, again, what I'm trying to uh, get at with this Music Educated podcast. Is just, we need to educate students and these young um, musicians so that they can be more successful in what they want to do and have the information to to do it
1: absolutely and i think like you were saying you know finding ways to not just have a regulated lesson is important so like one of the things that i've found that i love to do um i've done it more so with my piano students than voice but um every now and then they'll come into the lesson and i don't really give them any warning but they come into the lesson and i say hey guess what uh today you're the teacher
0: I love that exercise.
1: And they give me the lesson. And it's, you know, you prompt them a little bit differently when they're 7 versus 14. Right. But I love doing that because it makes them think in a different way. They actually get to see things from my perspective. They make them actually think. I make them pay attention because I will mess things up on purpose and they have to catch it. And I
0: purposely, I I do that exercise too and I purposely mess up exactly what they Mm -hmm. mess up so they can really see see what they're doing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And like I was never taught how to teach. When I started teaching piano, I remember my first student was a little seven-year-old, he was adorable, and I came into my first lesson thinking, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to teach him. Like I was never taught how to teach and so I structured it based off of what I learned and how my teacher taught me, but I don't want my students to have that same experience. Right. And I mean who knows, none of them may ever teach music, but also, if one of them wanted to teach piano to one of their kids or just, you know, the neighborhood or whatever, whatever I want them to at least have some experience with that so they're not absolutely terrified like I was yes. when they first give a lesson. And it's like a, a no-fear situation. I'm their teacher. I give them stickers. Like, we have a great relationship. <laughs> so if they mess up in a lesson teaching me, there's no harm done.
0: Right. Leonard Bernstein paid his way through early piano lessons by teaching younger kids, Mm -hmm. just shows that when you're teaching, you're growing in such different ways Mm -hmm. that that lead to uh, probably faster and meaningful growth. Absolutely. Um, How have you started to market yourself in the music field, Uh, particularly because someone with two degrees in social work Mm -hmm. coming into this music field where it's just like, you have to do it this way. So talk about how you kind of market yourself, uh, into this career in music.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first things first, I'm always very transparent about my background. I don't have a degree in music. I have a minor in music. I have many years of lessons and experience and things like that, but I don't have a degree in music and I'm very upfront about that. Um, I mean, the Y hired me. I teach at the YMCA. They hired me knowing that. And every parent that I spoke to when they wanted, you know, when they got referred to me for lessons, I told them that. They also knew that I was either going to work on a degree in music or I currently am. um, But I'm always very upfront about it. And then it's finding ways to explain how my experience as a social worker is actually beneficial also as a music teacher. And so I talk about how, like, I'm very strengths-based and I like to reframe things. So, like, instead of saying someone's strengths and weaknesses, I'll say their strengths and their opportunities for growth. And while that may not seem like a big difference, when you're seven or when you're a 12-year-old boy and you're trying to figure out your weaknesses, that's not going to go over well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so, understanding, like, strengths and opportunities for growth, even that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, I also have taken development classes literally from birth to death. So like understanding the cognitive levels of children and how a five-year-old is gonna function very differently from an even a seven-year-old and knowing what's appropriate musically to teach them and how to teach them. How do I change their musical games so that they learn effectively?
0: How do you kind of work through all that you know in that social work field and kind of use it to explain to parents like what you're doing?
1: That's a really good question. Um, so it's funny because I don't have to think about applying those things in my lessons. They just happen mm-hmm. because that's just my, okay. um, it becomes automatic as a social worker to be strength-based. That's just, we're trained in that. That's all we do. And I, the VA is very strength-based. And so just kind of naturally incorporating that into my language and just how I speak to the kids or, I mean, some of them, I have an adult student, two adult students right now. Um, and just changing my language, um, even if I don't necessarily say this is what I'm doing, this is why I say opportunities for growth instead of weaknesses, but it's funny to see that they'll start to pick up on that as Mm. well. Um, for explaining it to parents, that's a good question. I got to think about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think for me, I, I've always had a problem with over explaining Mm -hmm. things. Um, I'm just trying to think like how do we structure all that knowledge Mm -hmm. into something that's going to make their experience better.
1: Right, so I think when it comes to like um, being strength based and reframing and positive reinforcement and motivation that's all more of just a mentality and um, like your theoretical underpinnings (laughs) and all of that it's it's not necessarily something that I do, but just more of like the lens that, through which I choose to teach. But like for things that I do, like I'm very big into goal setting. And so with my students at the beginning of each year, I'll have them set a goal and it can be anything as long as it's related to the instrument. Um, and, you know, with piano their books are very guided. And so it might just be, I want to reach this part of the book or I want to finish the book with my more advanced students. So I want to be able to like do lead sheet but understand the theory behind it, what have you. And have them work towards that, because it's something that they choose. Now, I also set a goal for them, but I don't tell them about it, because I don't want to impose that on them. Right. But I have that in the back of my head. And I'm thinking piano, just because I've been seeing them more recently, virtually, but whatever. Mm. Um, you know, it might be that I want them to, this year, finish all their sharp scales or something like that. And then I tell them, hey, did you know that when you set your goal, I also set a goal for you? Yeah. And then they're like, whoa, I met a goal I didn't even know was there. And that's so exciting Yeah, them. that's awesome. Um, and that way I'm not imposing it on them of you have to reach this goal. But it's something that I can encourage them to work towards without them really realizing it. So it's a little sneaky.
0: <laughs> hey, um, a lot of teaching especially um younger students is that sneaky oh yeah i'm gonna get you to do this without you even knowing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can do it totally Um, and because kids don't know that they shouldn't be able to do something
1: right and i i think one of the things that comes from my background is i okay there's like no musician who doesn't feel inadequate even kids (laughs) right like, you'll hear them, like, most of my piano students, they'll look at a new song, and they'll say, oh, this looks really hard.
0: I don't know, trum- trombone players, uh, <laughs> trumpet players, <laughs> uh, egos, uh,
1: Okay, well, I'm working with pianists <laughs> and vocalists, alright? So, um, but, like, most of my piano students will look at a new song and say, oh, this looks really hard, and then we break it down, and I say, okay, okay, We we break it down, they play through it, and I always say afterwards, so was that as hard as you thought it would be? They're like, no, it was really easy. I'm like, okay, so what did we learn from this? Like, challenging kind of that thought of just because something looks hard doesn't mean that you can't learn it.
0: like what you just said, and you took it a step further, and you asked, what did we learn from this? Mm -hmm. So I really really like that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) I haven't used that. And, uh, again, that's another thing. I just want to get information from Mm -hmm. people and experiences from people Mm because that's... Really, what's gonna guide our careers for uh, forward Absolutely. is not all this textbook information that we're gonna mm-hmm. need. It's all these experiences. Yeah. So I, I just love those uh, different perspectives uh, that you're giving now, because I'm definitely going to
1: steal them and use them. Right. Well, and so like you said, you know, you're you're prone to over-explaining things, and I'm the same way because I want to make sure someone understands something. Yeah. But one thing that I've learned in my other field is that the more I get the other person to talk, whether it's a client or my student, the more I get them to talk about what's going on, what they learned from this piece, how they responded to it, whatever, the more they learn not just um, the music, but how to respond to the music, how to, to learn a new piece. So it's a lot about like eliciting their feedback and asking those questions. So what did you learn from this? Instead of me saying, See, it wasn't so hard i told you yeah but getting them to say it yeah because then they actually believe it because they're the ones who said it yeah. like you're more likely to listen to yourself than you are to others sometimes yeah.
0: um what are a few ways you've you talked about every music musician's gonna feel inadequate so mm-hmm. what are a few ways that you feel like you have feelings of failure in your teaching or other aspects of your musical career mm-hmm. are there any tips that you would give for younger music students about how to kind of work through those feelings
1: yeah so um one of the things that i struggle with um being a non-musician well not non-musician but like coming from a non-musical field into a musical field um especially at school surrounded by peers and staff and faculty who are so talented is a lot of times the best way i can equate it to is i feel like a dog without a pedigree And it's not that anyone has ever made me feel that way. Everyone is so supportive and so encouraging. And they're like, I think it's great that you're doing this. And they're so open to learning from me about what I can bring to the table. But that's my own mental stuff of being told, oh my gosh, over 10 years ago, that I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And despite everything that's happened since then, I still struggle with that. And so I feel frequently not good enough or inadequate. Um and so and I, I think to myself you know when I graduate I will probably still think it's a fluke like <laughs> I don't know how this happened probably some magic I don't know about like no clue um working through it is a whole other thing and that's something that I still struggle with um this summer's been great because I've not been in school <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think a certain level of my anxiety going back uh to school, how am I going to get back into this mindset of what I need to do?
1: Yeah, well, and that's where it comes with, like, motivation. So, for me, like, the whole reason that I'm working on this degree is because I have students and I feel like I'm not good enough for them. I want to give them a better experience. There's so many things that I come across in a lesson where I'm like, I don't know. Um, And so, that's where I feel like I'm failing them. Mm -hmm. But that's also where I get my motivation then I can take it to my teacher. I can take it to professors. I can research it. And I have to learn how to use that sense of failure. Like, I'm not a good enough teacher to become a better teacher. Right. And so it's kind of taking that mentality of, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not clean enough in my technique or whatever and tacking on the word yet at the end.
0: It's that whole saying, I'm, I'm not where I want to be, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad I'm not where I
1: was. Absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I am totally prone to having pity parties. (laughs) Definitely. Um, But pulling yourself out of that and acknowledging, you know what, sometimes good enough is good enough. Yeah. Okay, I can't expect the sun, moon, and stars out of myself all the time. That's ridiculous. So, like, not lowering my expectations, but making them more realistic. And then acknowledging everything that I've come through thus far. How much I've changed in the past six months, how much I've changed in the past year, in the past 10 years. That's huge. My musical growth is crazy compared to where I was 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it's kind of giving myself that perspective and giving myself that grace to be like, you know what? I'm not good enough yet. That doesn't mean I can't get there. And then finding what's my motivation to get there, which for me is my students. And then finding out what resources do I need? So it's kind of a, it's a process. Um,
0: I think all this has been really great conversation to, to show kind of a different path that people can go through to get to a musical career. And that's kind of just the purpose of this entire podcast series. Right. So. Well,
1: and I think this is a great example of what we talked about in the beginning. That if you come out of college with just a degree then you missed out on a lot. Yeah. And so this gives you that opportunity to explore another avenue, but also to get to know other people yeah. and to hear their stories because grad school doesn't give you the opportunity to hear stories in the middle of a theory class.
0: I agree. It's, it's it's something, there's something to be said about how we kind of use our experiences to to move into some sort of uh, profession. But I think understanding that there's not one path that you need to go through. Absolutely. Uh, it is definitely something that I hope people can take away from not only this uh, episode, but future episodes of Music Educated podcasts in the future. Absolutely. So. That is the first conversation of Music Educated. I really wanted Lindsay featured in the first episode to drive home the point that everyone will have their own path to finding a musical career. And also show that the experiences and interactions when we are younger will influence how our careers will turn out. I want to thank you all for listening. If you made it this far, uh, if there was anything that kind of stood out to you during this episode, or if you enjoyed um, hearing these types of perspectives and stories, please share the podcast and consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and following on Spotify. Um. Everything I do with this podcast, I do for the younger musicians, so please support the efforts of this podcast and share this with more people so I can continue to have these awesome conversations and share this knowledge with you. Thank you, everyone, and be on the lookout for next week's episode featuring collaborative pianist and friend of mine, Hannah Kamiya. Until then, stay safe and keep the music going. Mm